Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. So thankful uh, for what you do. Want to wish my own mom a happy Mother's Day. I know she watches each week on our live feed. So happy Mother's Day from your favorite son. (laughs) Before we dive in uh, to our passage for today, I'm going to invite you just to join me in just a couple moments of silence. Uh, I think we are so infected by noise all the time and just going to invite you to open your hearts and your minds uh, to receive all that uh, God wants to say to us today. So let's just take a moment together and be still in the presence of God. So now, oh God, open our hearts, open our minds to receive all that you want to say to us today. Amen. If you attended high school or middle school in the late 80s, early 90s, then you probably know what this is. (laughs) This served a variety of functions, one of which was a communication device. If a young man or a young woman wanted to pour out uh, your heart to another young man or young woman, you would write them a a note, fold it neatly into a cute football triangle, and stick it in the vent of the locker of the one that captured your affection and your attention. This is how we communicated. Like, this was Snapchat in 1990. (laughs) This is Gen X's Snapchat. I gave and received many of these over the years as, as we poured our hearts out to one another. Much of the New Testament are a series of letters uh, written uh, by a variety of authors inspired by the Holy Spirit as God pours his heart out to us. They were written to communicate deep, personal, communal, and spiritual truth that is, is essentially God sharing his heart with us. Now, these letters were often read in the midst of a worship gathering. The book of Colossians is one such letter. So we're in the middle of a series right now called Holding It Together. Uh, That title is taken from Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, in which the author of Colossians writes, speaking of Christ, that he is before all things and in him. All things hold together. This weekend, we're headed into chapter 3 of the book of Colossians. In this chapter, the Apostle Paul is, is going to move us from a theoretical adolescent religion to more of a robust, mature spirituality. So I'm going to invite you now to simply listen to the words of Colossians 3. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. Uh, I want you just to hear it maybe as the first century church would hear it. And then as we kind of dive back and go through some verses, we'll put those up on the screen. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance towards someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. In Colossians chapter 3, what we have is a series of images that the Apostle Paul is using to describe growth from mere religious adolescence to a more robust, mature spirituality. In these 17 verses, we see the image of seeking, the image of death, and the image of clothing. We begin in verses 1 and 2 with the challenge to seek the things of heaven or to seek the kingdom of God. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. This chapter in the book of Colossians uh, is directed and written towards those that are followers of Christ. These, the recipients of this letter were people that had made a commitment to follow in Christ, to follow in his way. They received him as Lord. That's why the Apostle Paul begins by saying, since you've been raised to new life in Christ, there is this, there is this expectation of this audience that they have set their hearts on things above as opposed to those things that are below. <clears throat> These next few verses could quite literally be translated as, the things above be constantly seeking. Because listen, we all seek something. Every single one of us. So what are those things that we consistently seek? Now, some of the things that we see consistently are a bit insignificant, right? Like, I love French onion soup. Anybody love French onion soup? Like, of all the soups, French onion is by far my favorite. If I go to a restaurant I've never been to, and they have French onion soup on the menu, I will order it, even if I'm not that hungry, because I am constantly seeking the best bowl of French onion soup. Now, right now, the place that has the best in my mind is a small bistro in Park City, Utah. It's a bit of a haul, but it's worth it, right? (laughs) Other times, we seek things of more substance, truth, 
purpose, identity, calling. Seeking can consume what the Apostle Paul refers to as our our heart, which is our desires, our deepest of longings, and our mind, which is the direction of our, our thoughts. See, we can get really, really obsessed with our thoughts. We can get really obsessed with our desires. Several years ago, um, it was uh, told to me that I have a, a mild form of, of OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Like I get, I get things in my head and I just, like I can't get them out. Like I ruminate on them. Some of them are good things. Some of them are not so good things. Some of them are neutral. But I just, just get these things in my mind and it's like almost like I can't move on. Like I get stuck. So about six weeks ago, like I just had this thought emerge in my head and I just thought, you know, I just, I want another dog. I just decided. Like it just, this thought implanted in my mind and I can't get rid of it. Now I have a dog. He's a cute little dog. His name is Tyler. He's a Bashan Shih Tzu. He's 12 pounds and I love him. He sleeps in the bed with me. But when I walk him around the neighborhood, he's like, like it doesn't exude manliness. Like it doesn't, like it's not like, And in our marriage, we've always had small dogs. Our dog before that was a chihuahua. She was, her name was Nina. She was a nice dog. But again, I mean, so I decided I want a large dog to make up for my lack of whatever. Well, we have allergies in our home, so that is restricting. So I just decided I want a golden doodle. That's what I want. 70 pounds, big dog, good with kids. That's what I want. So six weeks ago, I put down a deposit of $200 on a golden doodle that will be born in July. Just like that, I mean, come on, how could you? We get so obsessed over all kinds of things. And in our obsession, we are faced with a series of challenges. First is, is we live in what some are calling the age of the spectacle. Because we get so obsessed with things, we're constantly, as human beings, looking for the next thing that will push the boundaries, that will earn our attention. It could be an image, a video, an event, a scandal, something. Or maybe we want to be the spectacle. We want to be the center of attention. Spectacles sometimes hold our collective gaze as a community and quite often distract us from those things that really, really matter, things that make a difference. And we get addicted to these, these things. But I wonder what it would look like instead to be captured by the beauty of who Christ is, by the event and spectacle of the cross, the message of the gospel. A second challenge that we face in our obsessions is we tend to compartmentalize our life. Culture has so shifted in the way that we do life. We're so compartmentalized and we develop personas to fit each compartment. So we we have our work life and our home life and our marriage life and our online life and life with my friends and my religious life. And all of these lives, all of these compartments have these different versions of us working them. And sometimes it 
lacks consistency, authenticity. Sometimes it even compromises our integrity. It's why it's so easy to be at church on the weekend with our Bible open on our lap, lifting our hands in worship and be as mean as a rabid dog on Monday at work. It's why so many religious leaders have fallen into scandal because somehow this compartment seemingly in their mind doesn't affect this compartment. It's why we say stuff online that we would never say to somebody's face. All of this compartmentalization I believe has led to a sense of, of, of rootlessness. Like we're not rooted in anything because each compartment demands such a different version of us. And yet our soul desperately needs to be rooted. If you turn back a page to Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes this, and now, just as you've accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow in him. In other words, bring all of these selves together. Let your roots grow down deep into him. Let your life be built on him. Then let your faith, then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Let all of your desires, all of your thoughts, all of your attention be rooted in Christ. I believe that if I'm going to move from kind of an adolescent theoretical religion to a mature spirituality, I set my heart and things above. Let my roots grow deep in him. Secondly, it also causes us to, to die. That's the second image the Apostle Paul uses, that of, of death. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger and rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there was no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. For the last couple of years, in the month of January, I choose a word that kind of serves as my word of the year. It's the word that I use to define the next 12 months. I don't just pick something at random. I often kind of really think about it and wait until something strikes me, something that moves me. This year, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 3 moved me. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ. So this year I chose as my word of the year the the word hidden. In the original Greek language, the word hidden is the word crypto. From it, we get our word crypt. It means to conceal or, or to, to hide in a safe place. When things in life are eventful, when things in life are challenging, stressful, are filled with struggle, because it is, even in the midst of this beauty and the glory, this sense of living, there is an element of struggle. In the midst of struggle, we want to find a safe place to hide. In the year 2012, I was uh, 
in the nation of the Democratic Republic of Congo with one of Northbrook's partners. At the time that I traveled there, there was a war between the Congolese army and a rebel group known as M23. Now, I flew into an active war zone against my better judgment and against the the wishes of my wife, but I stayed in a city called Bene with a pastor friend of mine who lived there. One evening, this guy shows up, seemingly out of nowhere, just knocks on the door, he comes into the house, he stays for a day or two, and then he's gone. And what was interesting about this guy was he was a Caucasian guy, and he was the only Caucasian guy I'd seen in, in a week outside of myself. I'm like, so finally when he left, I asked the pastor, like, who is this guy? Why is he here? Why was he here? Well, I found out he was some kind of zoologist working in the northern part of the Congo at an animal preserve working with an endangered species called the okapi. Now, an okapi is kind of a, kind of a breed of animal that's like a half giraffe, half zebra. They often call it the Congolese giraffe. It's a very unique animal. Uh, and it is part of the tourism commerce in Congo. Well, M23, the rebel group, stormed this preserve, killed all of the Akapi, killed all of this guy's staff, and this guy fled for his life. And the only safe place he could find to hide while trying to get back to the United States was this pastor's house in Benny. So hide in the one who is your life. When someone sees me, what I hope is they really see Christ. Because for me, the safest place I know is in him. See, when someone sees me, when someone hears my words, when someone feels my emotions, in my conversations, in my decisions, what I really hope is that Mike dies and all you see is Christ. See, for me to move personally from a theoretical adolescent religion to a more robust, mature spirituality, I've got to die. Matter of fact, I've got to die daily to some things. Each day I have to die to selfishness, because let me tell you, I can be pretty selfish. Each day I have to die to my own arrogance, because most of the time I think I'm right, because I am, right? It's got to die. Each day I've got to die to the unhealthy need to be important or to be liked. Put to death whatever belongs to the earthly nature. The Apostle Paul then goes on to write things like sexual immorality, impurity, and lust. All of which are important things, but what I I find interesting is that as people of faith, those are the things we always point to. Like as long as we're not doing that, we're okay. Like, as long as I'm not that guy. But we forget the rest of the verse. It talks about greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying. Like, take those things off because they they don't look good on you. Most weekends, before I come here, I walk up to my wife and I... Just let her make sure I look okay. I say, how, how does this, this outfit look? And usually she says, you look fine, but every once in a while, like four weeks ago, I, I put together this outfit that I thought was awesome. And I said, how does this look? And she said, 
you kind of look like Mr. Rogers. I'm like, that's not, man, so take that off. And put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Clothe yourself with beauty. Since then, as God chose you to be holy, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. You know what you wear makes a statement. And whether we want to admit it or not, people make assumptions about us by what we wear. There are some days that you know, you want to look professional, so you choose a garment that will make you look professional. Others of you work a job in which there is a uniform, and that uniform identifies you with your profession. Sometimes we roll out of bed and walk out the door, and the message we send is clearly, I don't care right now, right? Other times, we dress in such a way to attract attention. We want someone to, to notice us. Assumptions are made about us by what we wear, what we clothe ourselves with. A few years ago, I interviewed a guy for a pastoral role here at Northbrook Church, and um, this guy shows up, and his, this is terrible, his hair is all greasy, it's pulled up into like a man bun, he had a wrinkled t-shirt on, jeans and flip-flops, which, you know, I'm all for casual, like I, I, I'm more of a, I don't like dressing up, it's not my thing, but if you're going to go to a job interview, like maybe put some socks on, I don't, I don't know, just a, li- a little bit. You know, and I, I still hired John Malstead, but I... Nah. <clears throat> I'm just joking, it wasn't. <laughs> if I were to walk in today wearing this, you'd make some assumptions about me. Now, I, I understand that there are some troubles in Packer Nation right now. Some feelings have been hurt. And so at least to bridge the gap, I decided to bring the Don Beebe jersey just to make you feel better. It's signed. But if I wore this, you'd make some assumptions. You might assume that I like football. You'd probably assume that I like the Buffalo Bills. You might even assume I grew up in Buffalo, New York. And all of your assumptions would be correct. Because people make assumptions based on what we clothe ourselves with. So the, the persona, the actions, the behaviors that I clothe myself with, it makes a statement. And whether I want it to be truth or not, people make assumptions about me by the way I clothe myself with my actions and my attitudes, my, my words. And so I, I hope that the assumption that's made about me is that I follow Christ. Because if you want to make a statement, if you you really want to prove, if I really want to prove to a watching world that I'm a maturing follower of Christ, I want to clothe myself with beauty. And the attire is this. It's tenderhearted mercy, kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. And listen, in my 46 years of life, there has been no greater time in the history of my existence than we need this. To make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you.
Because see, this beauty moves us to maturity. These are thoughtful choices, not based on obligation or fear. See, when I seek the things above, when I choose to seek things above, when I choose to clothe myself in beauty, when I choose to, to die to myself, that's what produces maturity. I read the story of a young girl in a book by the author Anne Lamont who was diagnosed with leukemia. She needed a transfusion and it was discovered that her younger brother was a match. His parents explained to him the situation, asked if he'd be willing to donate to his sister. And he said, can I think about it for a day? He said, fine, you can think about it for a day. The next day, the young boy comes back and says, yeah, I'll do it. I'll, I'll give that to my sister. And so they lay side by side as the procedure is performed. And once it's over, the doctor walks up to the young boy and he says, son, how you doing? And the little boy with a tear in the corner of his eye says, I'm doing okay, but when do I start dying? He assumed that he was being asked to give his life for his sister, something he was willing to do. He was willing to deny himself so that others could live. I believe that if Christians around the world would die to self, if we would renounce our personal agendas, our selfish ambitions, and begin to respond in the radical way of Christ, clothing ourselves in compassion, kindness, humility, tenderheartedness, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, we would turn the whole world upside down. And I know this because that's what the first century Christians did, and we're still talking about it. This is what moves us from theoretical adolescent religion to robust, mature spirituality. As our worship team comes back, as the next step for today, I want us just to, to consider a series of questions that I think require at least a depth of honesty. Like first, what am I seeking really? Because when I can answer that question honestly, life becomes a bit more clear. Secondly, is there something in my life that just needs to die? Because it's getting in the way, it's holding me back from becoming all that that God wants me to be. And finally, what what do I need to put on? Are there some things that I need to clothe myself so that I can reflect the beauty of Christ. So as our worship team leads us in a final song, would you, maybe as an act of worship, maybe as a prayer, consider these questions and offer them up to the Lord.